0: This podcast contains swearing I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin Now you have plucked that
1: podcast out and started listening I took my microphone and found some human folk Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke My name is Adam Buxton, I'm a man I want you to enjoy this that's the plan Rosie come say hello to the podcast dog come here no thanks I'm just going to stand in the middle of the track I'm going to sniff
0: some of the pebbles and I think I might do a wee on the pebbles here Okay. Now I'm going to trot away. Bye. Okay, see you later. Oh, a little bit warm now. The thing about the weather we've been having recently is that uh, it's very difficult to know how to dress when you're going out. Sometimes I see the sun shining, go out in my shorts, and it's really very cold, and I regret not wrapping up better today. I've come out in fleece and puffer jacket and cycle trousers and I'm too hot. Way too hot. That's a good story though, isn't it? That's what I thought. Yep, keep that one for the top of the podcast. Hey, how you doing, podcats? Good to be with you again. Hope things are okay out where you are. I am, as ever, reporting to you from a farm track in Norfolk, UK. And I'm passing some trees here. And though I can't see them, I can hear that they are chock full of skylarks. Absolutely going for it. techno. It's like Josh Wink and Skrillex going head to head. So listen, I'm going to tell you a bit about podcast number 176, which not only contains a rambling conversation with British-Malaysian stand-up comedian Phil Wang, but also features two specially recorded musical performances from returning guests and a band that continue to be one of my all-time favourites, Spoon, I'm from Texas, America. But uh, they're from the sensitive part of Texas. Anyway, that's coming up later on. I met up with band members Brit and Alex when they were in London promoting their new album, Lucifer on the Sofa, back in March of this year, 2022. We had a short chat... And they did a couple of great versions of songs from the new record, especially for the podcast. But before that, it's Phil Wang time. Wang Facts! Philip Nathaniel Singoy Wang, currently aged 32, was born in Stoke-on-Trent, but grew up in Malaysian Borneo before moving back to the UK with his family when he was 16. He studied engineering at Cambridge University, ooh, where he also started performing live comedy at the beginning of the 2010s. As well as being a solo stand-up, he is one-third of the sketch group Daphne, along with comedians Jason Forbes and George Fouracres. Phil also does a podcast with comedian, an all-round good guy, I'm adding that because I know him a little bit, Pierre Novelli. Hello, Pierre If you're listening, uh, that podcast is called Bud Pod. Phil's 2019 stand-up show, Philly Philly Wang Wang, broke records for ticket sales at the Edinburgh Festival that year, and it included material on feeling caught between two cultures and the challenges of becoming a mature man now that he is in his 30s. The plan was to film it for Netflix in the spring of 2020, but it wasn't until 2021 that that was eventually possible, uh, by which time a year of Covid-19 had added another dimension to the show, especially when it came to the way Chinese people were routinely demonised in certain quarters post-Covid. Phil explored some of these themes further in his book of essays and childhood recollections, Side Splitter*, published in late 2021. My conversation with Phil was recorded face-to-face at Philly's Place in lively New Cross, South East London, back in March of this year. As well as talking about Phil's book and many of the themes in it, food, race, cultural appropriation, social media pylons, etc., we also chatted about Phil's fairly recent appearance on Celebrity Mastermind. And there was a recurring motif about forming attachments to inanimate objects and robots. Incidentally, since my conversation with Phil was recorded, I have discovered that Apple stores have recycling schemes for old computers. So I plan to take a few of those in this week. As you will hear, I'm complaining in the conversation about how difficult it is to recycle old tech. Anyway, look, let's get on. It's a busy podcast. I am packing it in. I could have split this into two episodes. Of course I could. A Phil Wang episode and a Spoon episode. No, I'm packing it all in like a variety show. That's okay. You're welcome. I'll be back after Wang Chat to give you a short Spoon introduction. But right now with Phil Wang, here we go. (laughs) Your own in this house now, and oh, no, I
2: um, I live here with Ian Smith. Oh, a I... Ian Smith, yeah, a little comedian's pad. Yeah, it's
0: very tidy for a comedian's pad.
2: Oh do you think? I well, don't I think you've confused uh, a lack of possessions for tidiness. I've okay. just not really got uh, furniture yet. I've only been here a couple of months, and yeah. I'm really bad at shopping. I really find it hard to choose anything. I find it hard to commit to stuff. Yeah, especially with something long term like furniture. It just takes me ages. I can't. I give myself more reasons not to buy something than to buy it, and I just won't have it.
0: I know what you mean. And there's always the worry that you're m- choosing badly. I've still got a sofa bed that was my first major furniture purchase um, when I moved out. I still have it. I can't get rid of it because it was such a big investment emotionally and financially. It was very emotional.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. You know, really imbue possessions with feelings. I, when I moved into this this house, I was quite... Sad. And I just felt so alone until I unpacked it's gonna sound so silly. Unpacked the toaster and the kettle and a couple of the chopping boards and the coffee maker and I put them on the counter in the kitchen. And I felt I felt like my friends were here. <laughs> it <Is that> sounds sad. <laughs> that does sound sad. <laughs> But it's honestly like, I felt less, I felt, oh yeah, the, the guys about better. Had you the, drawn smiley
0: faces on them, that would have made it more friendly yeah, as well. I, I, I glued little googly eyes. Little eyes. So. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. In Japan, they take it to a logical
2: extreme. They have funerals for electronics and stuff. They Really? Yeah, I think, for, I think. I, I don't think it's a mass practice, but like... those ro- crazy Japanese. <laughs> I think they're like robot funerals. So, you know, if you have like a toy robot dog, there are places that were... were oh, okay, not for the toaster. Mm, I guess if it's a very fancy toaster with a voice, they might. But there's definitely a sense there more that, that machines can have souls and die. I kind of felt that
0: with my, <laughs> my appliances. I just felt so much better when they were around. Yeah, I keep buying. Um, so at this point, I'm now in my 50s. I've always been kind of techie, and I've never got rid of a computer. Mm. So I have every computer I ever bought, and at this point, there's quite a few. I have a similar problem, with those. and I don't know what to do. I don't like the idea of putting them in a dump. You know, I every few years I'll have this crisis, and I'll I'll always Google where can I recycle secondhand yeah. computer stuff, and it's very hard to do because yeah. it becomes obsolete so quickly. So you can't just pass it on to a school because they want the latest gear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: I sort of have this fantasy where I can give them to a sort of workshop, like. In a town in Star Wars. Yeah. Like a, f- a flying sort of bug mechanic will take it, <laughs> break it apart, use it to make a spaceship. For so parts, that's yeah. For parts, that's what I want to do, but it doesn't seem to be
0: as easy. Oh, look, I bought you a gift from a, a stall outside King's Cross station. Oh my,
2: oh yeah, they have like a little market thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, with lots of tasty treats. Oh, okay. And it's quite big. Okay, it looks, okay, so it's got
2: like a digestive base and it's chocolate, fudgy. And so, uh, so it looks like a dried crumble on the top.
0: Am I... Yeah, oat caramel. I'm assuming you oh. don't have any intolerances because that is going to challenge mm. all of them. Mainly sugar and cereals. Yeah. Yes, okay. um, <laughs> How
2: is it? It's really nice. Yeah, good. That's really nice. It's incredibly dense. <laughs>
0: it's like an, a dying caramel star. <laughs> that's imploded. It struck me as the kind of thing that you could probably make last for a week or two.
2: Oh, yeah. This kind of thing, you like, the hobbits would take, wrapped up in a, an elvish leaf on their journey to Mount, <laughs> Mount Doom, because, like, it just
0: would last them the whole trip. But for me, it's the kind of thing that I would buy and then eat on my own in a hotel <laughs> after doing a show. Uh, I particularly transitioning hard into your book oh it was so good man i really, really loved really it. Like it yeah i really did and i'm being genuine and i'm looking you in the eye and yeah. i'm not even blinking while i'm paying you this compliment
2: maybe you're doing that trick where you're looking at my
0: nose no looks like my nose. i'm looking at you right in the iris And <laughs> <laughs> telling you how much i liked it i really loved it i got the audiobook and you're not looking at my eyes too much you are like you're really okay, you're I'll, really looking at my eyes. i'll look at your chin for a while i enjoyed it so much it was like a, a companion, and I was sad when it finished, and I thought, oh, come wow. on, a few more chapters would have been fine. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh,
2: that, that, Audio book that. came
0: in at a lean seven and a half hours or something like that. Yeah. I could have handled twice that. Oh, really? Yeah. Really good essays. Good, you, You're good at the essay writing. Oh, thanks, man. And um, But keeping them funny as well, that's something that is a real skill. And you wrote brilliantly about race and the term people of color versus your preferred non-white to describe people people. and that is i mean i would suggest that people just bought the book and read what you had to say about that but i thought it was really well articulated oh
2: good Um, thanks man
0: yeah i think it just
2: it's better to just give someone as neutral and Accurate a term as possible, so if you're yeah. not white,
0: just say you're non-white. Well, you started that chapter by talking about Diane Abbott. Oh, yeah, yeah, Diane Abbott. Being described by... Amber Rudd. Amber Rudd. Amber Rudd, Amber Rudd. And she slipped up and didn't use the correct terminology. I think she said uh, coloured person instead of person of colour. Yeah. But you correctly point out that they're so sort of semantically... Similar. Similar. I mean,
2: they're literally identical. Yeah, You just swap them around. And so I I just say that we've got to a point now with language where these sort of basically kind of meaningless alterations can make the difference between a bigot and a righteous person. And I think it goes to sort of show how, especially a lot of people on the progressive left have just become a bit too obsessed with the language of things. And so I make a case more for uh, non-white of a person of colour because it's it's also vague person color what I actually like how much color do you need before you count so i just make a case for non-white but i think i think
0: i'm probably more articulate on it about it on the page similarly you articulated what i've always felt about cultural appropriation oh yeah and the slight cul-de-sac that there is inherent in that but well, it's not a slight i think it's a massive cul-de-sac in yeah. so many areas for me particularly music of course where um where the mixing of cultures is just fundamental to music. And yeah,
2: well, culture—I say, you know, culture is appropriation. It's yeah. how we've got to this place now. And I, I use the the example of a, a, a gal in America, a white teenage gal called Kazia Daum in American, for her prom she wore this chong san, which is traditional Chinese dress, and it was lovely. And uh, but then she posted these pictures on Twitter, and suddenly just it got went viral, and people, you know, there was like a Chinese American guy tweeting. My culture is not your prom dress, that's a famous thing. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, then people started looking at his tweets. Oh, well, a couple of years ago, he was tweeting really racist stuff, oh, and really? then he had to delete his account, right? But anyway, so he, he got she, she got in quote unquote trouble for this thing, but she didn't back off. She said, No, I'm not, I'm not apologizing. She's like 18, and she said, no, I'm not apologizing. I like this dress, miss you being ridiculous. But she, she was, she, did it but, turn
0: out that she was coming from a very conservative. Oh, I don't know about place. that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it did. I don't think so. Right, right. She
2: just liked the strong sound. Yeah. But then a lot of Chinese people came to her defense saying, yeah, it's lovely. Why aren't you wearing it? And then some people pointed out that even within China, it's originally from, I think, the, the Manchu minority in northern China. And then it came down into China and became a Chinese dress. So even within China, it's appropriation, mm-hmm. technically. And so, yeah, I use this as a sort of jumping off point. I talk about, you know, uh, Jamie Oliver and his sort of perennial battles with cultural appropriation. And uh, I try and draw a line, you just try and come up with a simple rule of thinking, is what I'm about to do with this piece of culture rude or not? Yeah. And just don't be rude. If it's rude, don't do it. If it's if you're doing it well, go for it. There's literally no there's no reason not to. But yeah, uh, it's, it's quite difficult, it turns out, writing a centrist funny book. <laughs> because centrism isn't very funny. It's just trying to be like... Trying to tell everyone to be sensible.
0: It's be not, reasonable. Be reasonable is not funny. Guys, can we just... <laughs> I disagree. I science? think you crack that nut. But the book is divided into nine chapters where you deal with family, words, or What's language. Ten-, ten. chapters. Yeah, maybe that's why you thought it was too short. Maybe you missed, chapter. <laughs> missed the chapter. I missed the whole chapter. Family, <laughs> words, food, race, comedy, love, history, assimilation, home. What have I missed? Nature. 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 Yeah. Okay. You've got a good food chapter in there oh yeah it really made me want to have malaysian food
2: have you had it before no
0: i don't think i have what's your classic malaysian dish the one
2: that's sort of making headway now in sort of the uk is uh laksa which is like a spicy noodle soup it's like noodles in a sort of curryish kind of broth uh-huh and with bits of seafood usually in it Uh, That is a classic one. It also sort of encapsulates a Malaysian food because it's like a combination of Chinese noodles and then Indians of curries and um, some Malay sort of pungent uh, sambal which is fermented shrimp and chili Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, None of which sounds nice. Can Not I on say. its
2: own, <laughs> <laughs> especially the fermented shrimp. Well, this is it. Yeah, this is the the real. There's a problem with East Asian food in that it's really hard
0: to translate in mm. an appetizing fashion. Well, you do make the point that the the, the British palate tends toward the bland, and yeah. I would say that is certainly true of me. But then this bit, like this thing's like black pudding and jelly deal, which yeah. you go? Well,
2: sure. So sure. you you can see that sort of slightly strange sounding foods are completely alien. Mm. Uh, but like there's one of my favorite Chinese dishes is called uh, Watan Ho, which is uh, sort of, you know, Ho Fan noodles, sort of flat rice noodles, mm-hmm. um, fried and then poured over with a gloopy sauce that only
0: translates into English as egg gravy. Oh, now you're talking. <laughs> you said fried and uh, gloopy sauce, and then I'm in. <laughs> Egg gravy doesn't sound nice, but mm-hmm. it's absolutely delicious. I like anything egg with an egg in. Eggs are amazing. Yeah. They're like a miracle. That's one of the big problems about veganism for me
2: is no eggs. Yeah, it kind of feels like you're wasting a real opportunity. I don't feel like God could have made it any more clear that he wants you to eat this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but then... I mean, what else it can be fried for breakfast and put in a cake? You know, <laughs> like there's hardly anything an egg can't do.
0: <laughs> but then the chickens wouldn't agree, so we're told. You must have had those conversations with vegans. Oh, and, with and, and and chickens. And chickens. <laughs> yeah, I understand, I understand.
2: <laughs> but you can put in a cake and you can got to fry it. You... <laughs> I think you're being unreasonable
0: about this.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> or it would be, like if it was on Twitter, it would be... <laughs>
2: Yeah, they wouldn't be able to get such a good sound out of their feathers, though. That's a problem with <laughs> chicken Twitter is that uh, the clapbacks are a lot quieter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's like, it's the sort of suffering index. If a chicken is doing an egg <laughs> yeah. uh, that may well yield a chicken child, yeah. then it probably doesn't want you to nick it.
2: But from my perspective, there isn't something that I push out of my body every day that I'm that attached to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, like... Just wait for yourself. <laughs> isn't the whole thing that they're not fertilised anyway? So, like, it's not like they're letting go of a kid, is it? I, I don't know. you talking to the wrong guy. Yeah, okay. All I know is they're delicious. They're Delicious and they're so full of... I think we're on the part of the cycle where eggs are good
0: for you. Yeah, when I was growing up in the 80s, eggs were absolutely not Okay. Mm-hmm. It was like, uh, these are loaded with cholesterol. You are going to die so quickly if you have eggs, they're going to clog your arteries. One egg, one egg a month as a special treat, maybe. I mean, it was, it was more than that, but it was definitely not the whole go to work on an egg thing. Which like was riding a- one. <laughs> there was a campaign from the egg marketing board for which the tagline was go to work on an egg. Right. Right i.e. have an egg, then go to work, or get out a spoon and start working on that yummy boiled egg. Well, like on the bus, eating an egg. You could, I suppose. You could interpret it whichever way. And famously, it was was a writer who coined it, and every time I mention this boring story, I can never remember which writer it was. I want to say Salman Rushdie, but it was someone similarly lofty in the literary world. I've got to Google it now. Hang on. Who wrote the ad... Phrase, go to work on an egg. Don Draper. Faye Weldon. Faye Weldon.
2: Is that is that an author?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She okay. wrote *Lives and Loves of a She-Devil.
2: And go to work on an egg.
0: And go to work on an egg. One of several famous novelists who started out in the field of advertising.
2: Oh, yeah, there you go. You've done an advert, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've done one or two little bits on... But you haven't been like the face of. No, no, I haven't. Um, I did an ad for Twitter on Valentine's Day once, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. Last year, sort of in one of the quasi lockdowns, I got asked to do this sort of promotion tra- travel blog, YouTube show for Rome Total War. And I got this, and I was asked to go on a trip of Roman Britain and do a sort of documentary talking about the game, but also just exploring Roman Britain. And it was so great. It's really good. Mm. Have you done something?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Joe, back in the day, Joe Cornish this is, uh, yeah. did a few. We did, I mean, we did one for Virgin Mobile. Oh, yeah. And, uh, which was quite a good payday. Of course. And I would, think, I would expect so. From and Virgin. we got a box of mobiles. <laughs> was that your payment? You've yeah, got paid in well, uh, no, in addition to... um great. <laughs> so uh, in addition to the cash,
2: you had enough phones to start a sort of The Wire style. Yeah, burners. Empire. <laughs> I was
0: just handing out burners <laughs> to all my family. It was cool, though, because this was pre-smartphones, and it was those little flip phones, and it was when the prestige of a phone was measured by its smallness. Yeah, isn't that funny? And I really felt like, look at me, I'm, I'm the king. All that shit you used to go on about when I was watching TV and not doing my work about how I'd never amount to anything. Turns out you were wrong, because now I've got a box of phones. (laughs) So fuck you. And then we did an advert for surf washing powder, and and they flew us out to New Zealand. I know from your mastermind appearance that you're fond of New Zealand as well. When did you go out there first? I think it was 2018 for the New Zealand Comedy Festival. Right. Yeah, it was really, really cool we got to perform
2: in Auckland and uh, Wellington. And I told this, and then so I, I did Master, Celebrity Mastermind uh, recently. Um, and my subject was the wines of New Zealand. Because I, got, I kind of got into wine a couple of years ago, and then New Zealand's like, oh yeah, New Zealand is quite contains some wine region. I, I reckon I could sort of bone up on that. And, and I told the story to Clive Myrie was the new host mm. and I saw the story of when I went to Auckland first time and I was really struck by how old the buildings were they all looked like they were from the 60s I hadn't changed at all and expecting New Zealanders to have the same sort of national self-deprecation as the British do I said well wow, this place it looks like it was built in the 50s what is this old Zealand and it's just got there's just like pin drop silence and it's just a single <laughs> oh, you actually got a boo. I got a boo from the famously nice
0: New Zealand. <laughs> First gig there. Do you think that they were offended by the quality of the joke or by well, what you that. were implying? I mean, what would you be implying? Just that some of their buildings are a little tatty.
2: Yeah, it's just a bit run down. Okay, right. Um, boo. <laughs> yeah, It kind not have been quality of the joke. I think the quality
0: of the joke speaks for itself. But, um, <laughs> Clive Myrie looked a bit dismissive. <laughs> He, but And that was, although that was after Clive Myrie had done a very lengthy horse racing analogy-based intro.
2: Yeah, and I think you can see me sort of laughing, because we had to we had to record, he couldn't get through it. So we had to record that like five times. Yeah. So I think the, you, the camera comes on me, and I'm just laughing that like he's still going. I
0: wrote it down, because it was making me laugh so much. <laughs> Our four celebrities tonight... Uh, I'm, I can't do the intonation, his special surprise intonation. Our four celebrities tonight are, uh, are all thoroughbreds champing at the bit on the starting line. That's his weird intonation. Yeah, that's it? right, yes. But the mastermind course is full of peril and danger. Yes, they've galloped to superstardom in their own fields. But the fences here are just a little bit higher and wider. <laughs> when, you're on, when you're not on home turf. And you're sort of thinking, wow, you've packed a lot in there already. You could probably stop now. But then it goes on. <laughs> the spotlight will be in your eyes. The clock will tick down with the pressure of sitting in the black chair. The biggest hurdle under the starter's orders. Can I please ask the first celebrity contender to make their way to the black chair? It's
2: it's one of those analogies that goes on so long. Mm. By the end of it, you've forgotten what the analogy is. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, wait, are we still talking about horses? <laughs> it was good. You
0: and, smashed it.
2: Oh yeah, thanks, man. I really prepared. I, I was the only one who turned up in the sort of the, the morning pre-show meeting in the hotel lobby with. Um, a set of handwritten notes, like a book of notes, and I was still studying. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else had just turned up, you know, having a cup of tea, and I was sat down reading through my notes, going over things again. And one of the contestants on the next episode went up to James Acaster, who was in the next episode. She went up to him, and (laughs) she she pointed at me angrily and said to James, do you know that guy? (laughs) He just said it's exam day. (laughs)
4: <laughs>
2: yeah, so I mean, maybe I took it a bit too seriously but I just really wanted to do well yeah
0: did you do a similar celebrity Most I did yes and, yeah. and Bowie in the 70s was my special yeah. subject and I did study for that and I started but only at the very last minute because I thought oh I know quite a lot about him I think but then as soon as I started reading I realised oh no I don't know all the dates and the yeah. names I of think the- picking a person is really hard because you have to remember lots of Yeah, and I've never been good at dates. I did okay on Bowie, but there was a couple of things that I got wrong that were very obvious uh, for for any, you know, entry-level Bowie stuff, really. First single to be released from Ziggy Stardust. I said, hang on to yourself. It was Starman. That's pretty basic stuff. Mm. And then in the general knowledge round, they gave me a sport question. I was like, ah, damn it. I'm out. I don't know anything about sport. And it was... Where is Henman's Mound? And it was like, mate, think about it for two seconds and work it out. Henman. How many Henmans do you know? It's probably Tim Henman. What does Tim Henman do? He plays tennis. I know that much. I could have figured out that Henman's Mound was at Wimbledon, but I didn't. And I said, the sport palace? (laughs) I didn't even do a good joke. I could have said, where is Henman's Mound? I don't know. In his pants?
2: That I would think have Sport be... Palace is funny in very much the same vein that old Zealand
0: is funny yeah. to me. <laughs> well, I I was lucky not to get a boo for Sport Palace, I felt, because <laughs> that was back when... Who's the other guy? Um, John, John Humphreys. Humphreys, yeah. And he was a more austere presence than uh, Clyde who's who seems friendly and nice, right?
2: He is friendly and nice, but you're, you also are very much aware that you're in presence of gravitas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he's like a proper newsreader and reporter and journalist. And then it was a very strange experience, me sitting in the chair in front of him and him going, Filly Filly, wang wang. Yeah. (laughs) So wang wang. So I watched that. And then like the day after on the news, I was watching him reporting live from Ukraine from Mm -hmm. a war zone. I thought, this guy's life is varied. You know what I mean? This guy
0: has range. Well, some people complained about him reporting from Ukraine because they said he, this is the guy from Mastermind what's he doing in Ukraine? I mean you know if you're,
2: <laughs> if that is your only experience with Clive Mary, I can understand it seems inappropriate but I, I guess from their
0: perspective it would be sort of like
2: watching um the guy who hosts the
0: chase, you know, suddenly in Syria. he would be like, what? This seems different. <laughs> that would be different. I mean, if Bradley Walsh was presenting Ukraine coverage, that would be harder to deal with.
2: Yeah, I guess. Although he'd probably make it work. He's very really good. Yeah. Does Bradley Walsh sing? I bet he's like an old school yeah. entertainer. He can do it all. Song and
0: dance. Yeah. Triple threat. But you, 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 uh, you, you, you like to croon. I do like to croon. And you croon one line of "Rule Britannia or something in, in your audiobook. It's just the one line. It's like, oh, he um, has got a nice voice. Oh, thanks, Anna. Yeah,
2: I, I wanted to be a singer before I became a comedian. Right. In my teens, I became obsessed with specifically the crooners and jazz standards and swing. Is that through your parents then?
0: No, well... Um, How did you get onto that story? I think my
2: intro to music was my father, who was obsessed with the Beatles. So literally, all he listened to was the Beatles, yeah. old Beatles as well, or like all those first few albums. And so that was my intro to music. And because of that, I think I was just programmed to value old music over new music. Mm-hmm. I've so, I'm not that way anymore, but for a long time, it's into my teens, I was like, if they weren't dead, I wasn't listening to them.
0: What's your go-to
2: then when you're doing a bit of crooning? I, I love this song called, um, it's actually it's a Bobby Darin song. I I sang it at um, my 30th birthday, me and a couple of comedian friends, we put on um, a big joint party for our birthday and I got up unannounced and sang, I had a jazz band there and sang That's All, which goes, um, I can only give you love that lasts forever and a hand to hold when leaves begin to fall. It's, it's a really beautiful song. So mm. that's the one I go to usually. You tossed away your performance there a little bit. I, f- I find it embarrassing. <laughs> of I
0: really course it it's embarrassing. embarrassing. We're alone in a room together.
2: Well, not only that, <laughs> but I don't know if you found this. Comedy makes it really hard for you to do anything earnestly ever Yes,
0: again. Yes, exactly. It's hard, isn't it? Because, yes, for a lot of people, I suppose part of comedy is a kind of uh, ironic, protective shell. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and then to suddenly cast that off and expect to be taken seriously is a bit much. Who was the impressionist, um, Mike Yarwood, popular British impressionist in the 70s and mm-hmm. early 80s, used to finish his sets by doing a sincere song? Yeah. And it was nauseating. <laughs> What you like then?
2: People found it? Uh, oh, like, no, no, no I did.
0: I, I just thought, what the hell are you doing? You're just, just do funny voices. He, do, he was a good impressionist. Yeah. And then to, to be expected as an audience to change gear and watch and enjoy him doing a sincere, but people, sentimental song, I just thought, I don't get how you're supposed to do that. I can't do it. People definitely seem to be more comfortable with doing that. That
2: entertainment was just entertainment. I think something like the two Ronnies and stuff would come on and they always... and well, I mean, Mock and Wise I'm thinking of would come yeah. on and, um, you know, they'd, they'd be really funny. But then that song, you know, Bring Me Sunshine... Right, right. It's it's not especially funny. It's a really nice song and they perform it earnestly and it's very sweet.
0: But someone will do it. That, that'll come back around, though. What For sure, you think will yeah. like be cyclical. There'll be a new wave of sincerity and comedy or something. Yeah. And... Um, yeah. I mean, I guess there already is. There's a lot more serious moments in a stand-up special now than there would have been 20 years ago or whatever, you know. I mean, you might have had someone like Lenny Bruce would have probably gone on rants that lasted a few minutes that weren't funny. Yeah. But he was criticised for that at the time, and it certainly wasn't the norm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and now I guess the equivalent of that is to share something personal. With yeah. So traumatic. Exactly, right. I think the world is getting very earnest. Yeah. I think it, social media has made us all very earnest now and it's given a real currency to earnestness.
0: Well, it feels as if you're literally not taking something seriously if you don't, if you're being silly. And obviously this is where you get into the weeds with, with certain people who, because the stakes are high when you're dealing with serious subjects then people get all literal and then you get these endless cycles of comedians' jokes being taken out of context. Yeah, people seem to have forgotten that we actually laugh
2: for very different reasons. It's not, to laugh at something is not always to diminish it. To laugh at something is often, you know, it can be a way of processing it or mm. dealing with it. And even, often people in the, in the worst it, since situations possible are one, the ones making the jokes about it, the gallows humour and all this sort of mm. thing, right? Yeah, I think a lot of this to do with people just having an unsophisticated relationship with comedy and with humour. And not allowing themselves to, to process
0: more of life through humour. It's true. That's the reason I came off Twitter was because I was so conflicted about all of this stuff. After I made some stupid jokes about football during a World Cup, I got a tsunami of furious <laughs> football fans oh, yeah. who, who just hated it. And it's funny when you just sort of,
2: you, you incite the fury of, like, a world. Yeah. A little world on, on Twitter
0: that you weren't aware of. And suddenly that whole world comes tumbling down on you. And yeah. It's very strange. And I think part of the problem was that it had, and, and what usually happens, is that the original comment had left the little garden of people that knew who I am and how I would say something like that. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. then it goes out into the wider world where people have no clue who I am. And yeah. And where I'm coming from. And all they see is these words and then they construct their own reality for it and their own context for it. And they, they just imagine this little smug, hairy <laughs> prick who doesn't know anything about football being condescending about their beloved, beautiful game. And it's like, no, <laughs> he will not get away with this. I must defend football. Football will not survive unless I take this guy down. He's attacking football. Football could crumble because of this little hairy (laughs) hobbit man. So there was a load of very angry comments. You should die. This is literally the worst thing I've ever read on Twitter. I'm sorry about was, I was in a bad mood that day. (laughs) And it went on for a few days as well. And then just when I thought it was drying up, Then there was one more, and I could see that it was... You know, you can see where it's come from. It's on the thread. And it just said, at Adam Buxton, cunt. (laughs) Yeah, eventually they run out of ideas. And it caught me at the wrong moment. (laughs) Normally, I love being called a cunt by a stranger. But this time, I was a little sensitive about it. And so I went back, and I just said... You know, the guy, call him Michael 2015... And I said, "Hey, Michael, 2015, how so?" Question mark. Mm-hmm. I.e., what? Why? Why am I a cunt? I just want to know why you think I'm a cunt. And um, he came back fairly quickly and said, um, "Sorry, that was a bit much."
2: <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, people. That time you you push back just a little bit and people go yeah yeah i sorry don't happen to me yeah. <laughs> but I don't even do that anymore I don't touch it now if something if I do anything that starts to get a kind of um, unpleasant traction I don't take it down I just I mute all notifications from it so mm-hmm. I don't see anyone that replies to it I don't see I leave it up I let it burn out I let them get upset it's over in two days the the one of the worst parlance and most similar parlance to that that I've experienced on Twitter was. It wasn't the world of football, but the world of dog owners. Oh. Who are equally vicious. Right. Well, equally protective, at least. Yeah. And I made this joke about... uh, It was when Chernobyl had come in on that TV show. I read um, a review of the show that said... So in one episode, these Soviet soldiers um, have to go around killing the locals of stray dogs because they've been irradiated, so they have
0: to put them down. That was a horrible episode. I mean, they were all pretty grim.
2: Yeah, well, this is it. And so in this review, the review described those scenes as... The most difficult to watch in the whole series. Okay, yeah. And I thought, they were sad, but you also had to watch a young engineer melt into a sort of pink jelly mm. in front of his wife. And I saw, I just made a tweet saying, whoo, white people. Just, just like that, just a little sort of... Oh, mate. And the, <laughs> wow, the fury that descended. And I'm again, sure. it's because of a very famous, a much more famous comedian just like replied to it. Didn't even retweet it, just replied to it. And because of the algorithm, that just lifts the tweet up to... The feeds of people who follow them right and so suddenly i was getting all this attention and um, from these people who are just furious and um, that um i'm that i was saying this wasn't as sad as an engineer melting yeah but anyway fundamentally it was just a silly joke and i didn't Really, me. That dead. was it. But that's
0: there's a lot of intersectional uh stuff to get upset about. On, on there was, there, yeah. but
2: that the intersection sort of proved itself because it was the most racist abuse I've ever gotten. To oh, really? Because of the dog Chinese connection. Oh, yeah. There was so there's lots of like, well, you're just annoyed you didn't get to eat them first. Which, um, come on, guys. <laughs> which, uh, like, with my comedian hat on, I was like, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny actually. <laughs> <laughs> but also, but also there's some were just flat-out racist, and it's the only time of like reported
0: accounts um, onto Twitter. Yeah. Um, but then they would say, well, you started it. You pushed the white people button.
2: Yes, but I think there's a difference between saying white people really love their dogs and Chinese people eat dogs.
0: <laughs> I think one
2: is definitely more unpleasant than the other, wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I do quite like dogs now, though. I have had a journey with dogs. I think have you he, you have as
0: well. A little bit, yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. yeah, no, we were we were no dogs. Um, my dad was anti dog. He would have been chowing down on them um, <laughs> with relish. Man up, the own heart. Yeah. But that's not just dog owners who are upset with that. It
2: was it was a real Venn <clears throat> diagram. You pushed a that. load of buttons I, with that one. I would say I pushed two buttons. <laughs> 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 I pushed two clear buttons, but. Um, I have to say the demographic that responded with fury only went to prove my point. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh I'm definitely with the people who say that 20 years time we'll look back and go what the hell yeah, were we thinking? That was mad. That was, that was absolutely mad. crazy to put people in close contact with each other in that way in an unregulated space more or less.
2: Mhm. You know the Dunbar number? No. And so um it's a he's a a uh an anthropologist and he came up with a Dunbar number which is the number of relationships essentially that we're designed were built to have and the number of people we're actually meant to know. Oh yes. And it's about 150. That's right. So beyond 150 we stop we you know we, we can't really handle that network that size. Yeah. And so going on and so Twitter completely explodes that instinct. And it it, it completely rides rides roughshod over our our natural programming. And we really can't, we can't compute. We can't, we don't know how to handle it. And we break down, we say things we would never say in person. We attack people in a way we'd never do in person. I don't know about you, but from time to time, I meet someone who's really outspoken, really aggressive on Twitter and in person, they're really sort of shy. Yeah, yeah
0: and yeah it, that's always been my experience yeah it's a weird one that's what i'm going with for my statement encapsulating social media <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird one it's a weird one <laughs> it's interesting i wonder if like it'll
2: it'll it'll, it'll come to a place where it's has got sustainable. To, hasn't it i mean like when the when the car was first invented we were just driving into ditches and stuff right I'm yeah just no that's of it,
0: but... a that's a good analogy it seems we need more speed limits and...
2: Oh, yeah, we need more. I'm, I'm so
0: pro-regulation, I'm just like, yeah, more and more regulation. You just need more rules and laws. Yes. And, and what about AI in general? How sanguine are you about that? Oh, I don't really know anything about... Uh, there's a show I watch called Raised by Wolves. Um, oh,
2: Catlin' Moran's
0: show? No. Oh, there's another show. Which was also show. called Raised by... That was a oh, comedy right. about Catlin' Moran growing up in Wolverhampton. But there's a show that is produced by Ridley Scott, and it's a science fiction thing dystopian future they've gone with no one's ever done that before.
2: oh interesting so future mm. but it's bad
0: yeah, oh. yeah you know like a future you would think would be shiny and fun and exciting because yeah, right? there's more robots and computers more robots and cool spaceships and everything's right but anyway this guy's gone with what if the future wasn't that great wow and there's been a war and the big war i think is between atheists and believers and they've ruined earth so they've gone off to try and populate another planet and the job of doing that has been left up to a couple of aIs a oh. couple of robots to repopulate the planet yeah but they they are they, no they're Sexy. in charge of some human children oh. so they are mother and father to these human children but it does it has quite a lot of stuff about robot rights and mm. the ethics of how you would treat a robot that was very sophisticated and very Human-like.
2: I I, I always (laughs) wonder about the sort of like AI rights thing, and I just think no, because they're robots. (laughs) Is that too simplistic? I just go, well, no. You've got to watch. raised
0: by wolves, but they're just but they're circuits and robots.
2: Yeah, but you're getting
0: sentimental about your toaster and your (laughs) kettle.
2: Yeah, but if but if but if you started going that toaster's stupid, I would be like, think about it. Rights. I wouldn't say that. You know, if if you if you kick my toaster, I wouldn't go. It has rights. I wouldn't say that. I'd be like, hey, that's my toaster. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you would change your tune though. If 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 a robot was so sophisticated, if it looked, maybe if it looked like someone you loved or something. Well, that's your mistake. Making it look like someone you love.
2: <laughs> You're only setting yourself up there
0: for a fall. <laughs> <laughs> but if it was a if it was. You know, all those associations you have with your favorite bit of hardware, um, plus very human characteristics and almost like a pet, you know, in the same way that a pet feels very human. But we know it's not reasoning in necessarily the same sort of way as us. But we for for some people, they define it as can can it suffer? And yeah. if if it can suffer, then it should have rights. Yeah, and Even I don't. That,
2: I don't see a future in which robots can suffer unless we design them to suffer. Right, I don't see right, Why would you would design them to suffer? Well, just to make them. And isn't pain fundamentally a chemical reaction? So, if you know,
4: you know what I mean. Yeah. So
2: if without the chemical
0: element, how would? Maybe I'm getting ahead of
2: myself here, but how
0: how would a robot... Sounds to me better? as if you haven't dug very deep into this, <laughs> Phil. I need you to look up <laughs> robot ethics and get back to me. i yeah, sorry. Not that I have. If i have... read
2: my Asimov recently. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I do find that fascinating, and I definitely feel as if... I do you think would... that's because of your techie? You're very techie they find that fascinating? Maybe... But I can totally believe, I can, I can really easily see myself becoming emotionally invested and protective of a, a, a realistic AI, a humanoid robot, and feeling bad about it being mistreated. Yeah. I love robot stuff. Really? Yeah, I wanted to be a robot when I was little. Interesting. I loved all robot people and Gary Newman I thought was a robot and uh-huh. his robot music. I love synth pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything robotic and synthesized, I love that. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, you know, there's probably a fairly straightforward psychological explanation for that, isn't there? I wonder what that would be. You want, you want to, maybe you want an order in your life. Order, want things to make sense, want, don't want to be hurt. Mm-hmm. Don't want to have, mm-hmm. don't want to have to deal with human feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I want to forget love. Yeah. <laughs> and don't you know, f- frightened of physical decay. Oh wow, yeah, like wow!
2: That. A young kid already frightened of physical.
0: Yeah, I think so. Deterioration. Yeah, as a little warrior. Yeah, fair enough. Were you a warrior? Yes. Yeah, big warrior. What would you worry about? All sorts.
2: I became quite a faithful child. I think a lot of it was... Like I went to Chinese school in Malaysia. And Chinese school became quite brutal. So, you know, we got... You know, you got caned quite a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. So we, Blimey, that wasn't that long ago. No, this is 90s. 90s? Mid-90s. Yeah, so... Um, into early two thousand. so yeah. So this is
0: Borneo. Borneo. Right.
2: Malaysian Borneo. Yes. Sabah. Uh, North Borneo. What was British North Borneo. Okay. And um, went to Chinese school then. Yeah, if you got... If you got something wrong, you know, you got... Caned, if you did, there's some teachers who like for every mark you got off, say 90%, you got a a strike. Whoa. So if you got 85%, you get five. Buckles is getting caned a lot on that (laughs) metric. And so from there, I think I've, you know, I'm giving myself a little Freud here, but that must have been part of me just being really worried about things going wrong and that things, you know, that everything has a terrible cot price to pay if you get something wrong. There's pain waiting for you. Wow! And so since then, although served you well for Mastermind, that's right. <laughs> so I should thank those teachers for caning me all those years ago. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I've, I've done, I've done all right in life. You know, i I've not done anything all that silly. I've not, you know,
0: lost, gone off the rails. L- or... Gone off
2: the rails. Yeah, I lost my life to anything like lost. You know, years of my life to anything like that, or you know. And I think maybe a lot of that is down to me just being really risk averse. Uh-huh. And so I feel like maybe I've, to an extent I have a lot to thank it for. But also, yeah, where I, I am a bit of a warrior. Much lesser so than it used to be. I'm coming, I'm getting better. Getting better. Are you getting better? Are you calming down? You yes calming
0: and no. Down? I go through phases, you know. I think these things never really go away, do they? Like anxiety or depression or various kind of mental health challenges... It's a question of managing them, isn't
2: it? Yeah, and being aware of them.
0: And and you go through periods where you're on top of them more or less, and then sometimes in moments of stress or whatever, they they get you.
4: Mm-hmm. And
0: <laughs> I had a tough lockdown, I think, like mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, and there were certainly moments there where I I was that wor- I was really worried. I mean, right now we're in, you know, we're always living in a worrying time, one way or another. Yeah, but I mean, the last couple... It it seems to be particularly bad. It does seem to be particularly bad the last few years, especially when you just think, I thought we'd sorted a lot of these problems. You know, you just... Anyway, and they come back and... Yep. And... um, But I am not... For example, I've got friends who are um, really freaking out at the moment. Uh, So we're speaking in um, mid-March 2022, Russia is uh, invading Ukraine as we speak. And, you know, there's other stuff going mm-hmm. on in the world Oh as always. well, which is anxious making. But I'm I'm not totally... I, 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 I won't go so far as to just completely lose my mind. You know what I mean? I don't get totally immobilized by fear in that yeah.
2: way. I've sort of gotten better at just... It sounds it sounds
0: sort of like irresponsible burying your head in the sand, but just from time to time just not watching the news for a bit. Well, that's another thing, isn't it? And it's so hard to kind of put that point of view or, or put that across without sounding like you are burying your head in the sand and without sort of sounding as if you're recommending to people to just, oh, just ignore it will go yeah. away kind of thing, which is not what you're doing at all. But it is, it is absolutely necessary to regulate that shit and, yeah. and not... Just be watching it twenty four seven.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure. We're not designed to know this much about the world yeah, at all times. That's right. Never before have we all been so instantly aware. The second something terrible happens in the world, it doesn't matter how far it is away from us. Yeah, yeah. Something will tell us it's happened, and we just we're not we're not built for it. We're not built for this world that we've built. In no way, we've built a world that we're not built for. Basically,
0: yeah. here's a philosophical poser for you. If you were on your deathbed, would you rather have lived a horrible, painful life? The other one. Only to find out... <laughs> I'm going to say the other one. I don't need to hear the other one, I feel like. <laughs> only to find out on your deathbed that, you know, something wonderful, some, some wonderful kindness is shown to you or whatever. Um, or... Uh, have lived a long and happy life, only to find out that uh, you know your partner was cheating on you, and your life has been a lie. And all
2: right, that sort of stuff. Um, I think the second one. I think the second one is the correct choice because um, hmm. I've, I read that this actually touches on um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Yeah, well,
0: exactly. So he's talking about the peak end rule. Yes, that's right. Yeah, which is yeah. always like most people calculate. Whether they like something according to the end of the experience, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, and
2: and um, and that also that it, people value the memory of an experience more than the experience of the moment. So if you ask a lot of people, if you ask people, um, you can go on an amazing holiday, that but you can't, you won't remember it when you get back, and you're not allowed to take photos. People will. A lot of people say, that I won't bother. Because it's the memory of the experience that counts. Yeah, you're investing in the memory archive. Yeah, we invest in memories more than we invest in the present. And so I guess that's what that question touches on. But I guess maybe if you're aware on your deathbed of this fallacy, that, and you're aware that the experience in the moment counted, and the pleasure in the moment was valuable, then I think you will be able... To to withstand this shock revelation that you say. Then mm. you will be able to say, ah, oh, this moment feels bad. But you're,
0: try to get, th-
1: you're trying to get me with the peak end rule, aren't you? <laughs> well fuck you, I had a great time and I don't care if it was alive. <laughs> and
2: especially because it's the end of your life, so you're not gonna to have to remember this unpleasant um experience for very long. <laughs> It's a minority of experience will be the bad one. And when you're dead, you won't remember anything anyway, so it won't matter.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. So I I would go for the second.
0: Okay, cool. Well, is that what you'd go for? Mm, I don't think so. Wow. I I think I thought I made a pretty
2: good case for it. You
0: did, but it was a very sort of rationalist case, and I'm not a very rational person. I'm consumed by irrationality. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd rather live
2: a horrible, horrible life and then at the end go, if
0: someone says, Thank you Adam. You've shown kindness at the end and your faith in, in human beings is restored. I think so. I mean, not so really. So you want to live like you want to live like Scrooge. You want a Scrooge story basically. And
2: what story am I getting?
0: Matrix, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Even though he he wasn't really having a brilliant time in the fake world, was That's he? That's true. Most comfortable, wasn't it? Right. That's right. the idea. Is that you you get to eat steak and a lady in a red dress. Yes, is it better to red pill it and wake up? <laughs> than to remain in the Matrix, and you are staying in the Matrix.
2: I'm happy to live in the Matrix, and then at the end find out it was all a lie, and go, Oh, well, yeah. the Matrix is fine, and then I die. Right, right. But right. you're saying you'd want to live like Scrooge, and we really... Well, if we go a, with un- the Matrix, un- then around. I have
0: to be going around in the Nebuchadnezzar and increasingly bad sequels for, <laughs> for ages, only to find out at the end that, ah, oh, it was actually... it's nice... Oh, actually. Fake world.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, the newest Matrix movie is actually not bad, and then you do <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have you watched the new one?
2: No, but it's supposed to be okay. No, it isn't. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> it's supposed to be totally unwatchable. <laughs> oh, right. I thought it was right. I, heard I think right. it
0: got some generous reviews. Okay.
2: I think there's so much goodwill and affection for
0: Keanu Reeves at this point, yeah. maybe, that people have given it a pass. Yeah. All right, man. We should wrap up. You know, I I wrote a lot of important things down. I'm sorry if I took things on. No, not at all. It's me. I'm just skidding around all over the shop. Thank you for indulging my tangents. Bet that's something you hear a lot. Not since geometry. Hey, welcome back, Podcats. That was Phil Wang there. Very grateful indeed to Phil for giving up his time. And if you look in the description of the podcast, you will find various links. Uh, his special "Philly Philly Wang Wang" comedy special is on Netflix, and the book "Side Splitter" is available. Yeah, I recommend the audio book. As I said to Phil. I mean, I'm sure it's great for the eyes, too, and print form, but Phil does a good job reading it. You get to hear his crooning. And, as I said, it's very funny and likeable stuff. Check it out. Okay, music time now. Music with a little bit of chat as well, with Britt Daniel and Alex Fischel of Spoon who, long-time listeners will know, are one of my favorite bands. Boy, I got into them a long, a long time ago, at the beginning of the 2000s, even though they were already going by then. I mean, they have been around for ages. Their new album, Lucifer on the Sofa, was released earlier this year, 2022. And it's another peach, but let's get to the conversation, which was recorded about a week actually after I saw Phil in March 2022, and it was in London. Alex and Britt were in town doing some press. And I met up with them at Third Man Records near Carnaby Street, set up by Jack White. And it's a very Cool, kind of quirky, I'm using all the words, cool and quirky environment for super music nerds. Oh, well, excuse me. It's the Egyptian geese. Yeah, yeah, I'm just doing my podcast intro. See ya. Oh, they don't really like me. I don't think the Egyptian geese. Oh, and there's a pheasant as well. Blimey, they're all hanging out. Boy, we interrupted a big bird gathering, Rosie. Anyway, what was I saying? Uh, Third Man Records, yes, fun place. And Alex and Britt were there to do a. I think in the music industry they call it a showcase, i.e., just a a short performance for assorted journalists and media people, I think, of which I was one. But I got there a bit early and chatted to Alex and Britt, and recorded them playing a couple of songs, very kindly recorded by the in-house engineer, whose name I didn't get. I apologise if you happen to be listening. Thank you so much. You did a great job. But right now, with Britt Daniel and Alex Fischel of Spoon, here we go.
3: Blah blah blah. check.
0: blah 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 What's your, do you have a um, mic check phrase? I always used to go with, this is mic number one, this is mic number one, isn't this a lot of fun? <laughs> <for a spinal laughs> That's tech. good.
5: Uh, there was a bass player in this band once at one point who would go, two, two, two. <laughs> and then I got in the habit of saying, cool sound check,
0: come on, cool sound check, <laughs> just to kind of like egg him on a little bit. <laughs> two. Two. <laughs> So you've just been over at Soho Radio. Right. So this is uh, Say Your Name's on the mic. I'm Brit. I'm Alex. And you're running around doing bits and pieces of promo, not playing any big shows in the UK at the moment, right?
5: Right. Yeah, just uh, some acoustic things, just me and Alex.
0: And as part of that, you were just over at Soho Radio doing Dennis Bovell's radio show, the legendary Dennis Bovell. That's
5: right. He did some mixes for us and... The first one came out today. Well, it's come out on a
0: 7-inch before, but now the first time it's out in the world, in the digital world. He's done a kind of bucolic dub, I would call it, for Wild. There's cow sounds on there. and um, Humans making cow sounds. Oh, is it humans doing cow sounds? I think that's what it is. <laughs> oh, I just assumed he'd been out in the countryside with his recorder. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite part of it. I mean, the guy... When people toss around the word legend, often it's not exactly... Uh, oh, hang on, this is my son calling. Frank. Hey. How are you doing? I'm here. I'm, I'm at uh, the
5: Piccadilly Circus, so I can make my way over to Third
0: Man. OK, make your way over to Third Man. I'm actually doing the interview at the moment. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's OK. I still love you. Uh, So come over and hang around in Third Man and I'll see you in a bit. You could even come downstairs. Say you're my son. Okay, all right.
4: Okay, bye. Do you know who my dad is? (laughs) How old is
0: he? He's 19. Very Um, polite. He's a very polite young man. We've terrified him into submission. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm uh, I'm bad at going off on tangents. I want to just tie up the Dennis Bovell jag. Because you must be fans of... Do you like the same sort of music, Alex and Brit? Yeah,
5: we yeah, have to the, check with each other. There's
4: crossover yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I know, Brit, that you're into a lot of the same sort of things as I am, a lot of the same kinds of bands that Dennis Bovell would have worked with. I mean, am I right about this? People like Madness and Orange Juice and some of those artists? Yeah.
5: Yeah, I got to see Madness uh, a few years back. Kind of because we were on a festival with them, and I was amazed at how great they were. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They still got Great, it. yeah. And, of course, Bovell worked with the pop group, Fela Cootie, The Slits. Wow. Famously, he did that first Slits album, I think. That is good. And he was in, as an actor, he was in one of uh, Steve McQueen's Small Axe films. Did you see any of those no. that came out in 2020? Mm-mm. Oh. You should see those. Especially the one that Dennis Bovell was in, which was called Lover's Rock. And it was set in a house party in the early 80s in in sort of West London, Notting Hill area. And the whole of this... Well, it was a film, I suppose. A bit longer than a... Yeah, it was about an hour and a quarter, or maybe even an hour and a half. And it was a series of films about the experience of black Britons. They were all very good, but this one was... a. Personally, I, I really um, was knocked out by it. And it's just a house party. So you see everyone getting ready and shifting the furniture out of the living room where they're going to have the party. And they're making food. And then the DJs are coming along. And uh, it's so well filmed. And they just, they just show you the whole thing. And people just going nuts for these tracks. Yeah, that's cool. And, the, you know, and sweat dripping down the walls in this uh, front room of the house party and, um, you know, half-smoked doobies on the side, on the mantelpiece and things like that. Right. Oh, it's very evocative. You should see it. When was the last time you were at a good house party? Good question. 30 years ago? <laughs>
4: <laughs> How about you?
5: It's been too long. I just I was just thinking as as you were talking about that, that my life used to revolve around house parties, like, you know, in the 90s. And, you know, before you could go to bars in particular, but even a little after that, it just was, there's nothing like a house party for having a good time.
0: Where were you going to these house parties? In Austin. Right. Yeah. And were they musician friends you were hanging yeah, out with? Yeah, So would people play live music at the party? Yes. For, oh, okay.
5: Yeah, and sometimes there'd just be music. I mean, like a, a, a records or CDs, yeah. but um, the best ones had bands, yeah. Good one, just set up in the living room, or sometimes like on the front porch, you know,
0: oh yeah. man, that's idyllic,
5: yeah, it's the best.
0: I don't think I've ever been to a party like that. Hmm. If there's been music involved at the parties I've been to, it's just someone getting out their guitar, and no one really wants them to get out right. their it's guitar, like,
4: please stop, <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were often shut down
4: for sure, right,
0: you know, but for being too rowdy,
5: yeah, for being too loud, if there's a you know certain houses, you got lucky because there were no neighbors that would mind yeah you know and so you keep throwing the parties there and then you'd find out you'd th- try throwing it somewhere else and you'd quickly find out you can't do it here house not, this house is not right going to work your house is yeah. one of the i've
4: been having some house parties yeah i had a show there actually Friend play a show in the yard nobody cares where's your place alex in los angeles it's kind of like a noisy neighborhood and another neighbor throws parties all the time too There was one neighbor I was worried about, but her kids came to the window and were, like, waving. And the next morning, I got a text from her that was like, oh, the kids were so excited, you know. And I was so happy they got to see the future for them of partying. I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) Just let me know if there's any problems down the road. Have either
0: of you ever called the police on a noisy neighbor? No, I couldn't do that. No. That's just bad karma. Now... This is your 10th studio album, right? they say, Lucifer on the Sofa. And this, am I right in thinking that this started life pre-pandemic? Yes,
5: mm-hmm. and then it just got stretched out further and further.
0: I heard you saying that some of the best stuff on the record came to you during the pandemic. Yeah. When you were
5: writing together. I think it's just that the longer you work on a record, the richer it gets, the richer the songs get. And um, the more songs you have to choose from, and then it just... It just keeps going. So obviously, we had a lot of downtime starting in March of 2020, and uh, then I ended up. The thing that made me feel better was getting lost in songwriting. So I wrote a ton of songs, and then uh, then we had to record them, and then the record just took longer and longer. Mm. You, know? you were in Austin. You were in Austin.
0: You were in no. Los Angeles. No, no, I
4: had moved to Austin because we were trying to do like a band record. Oh, and so. we did that for and a few we, months. Yeah, we were we were at that for like four or five months, I think. But, you know, then lockdown happens, you can't be a band anymore. Yeah. Especially because we didn't know, like, uh, nobody knew at that time, especially how it it worked. I mean, we were, like, wiping our groceries down with disinfectants and wearing gloves. And, you know, nobody understood how the transmission worked. So everybody was really off on their own. Were you doing other projects in the meantime? Did you sort of make your ambient album
0: that you'd always wanted to make and... No. <laughs>
4: no, I just, yeah. I, we, you, he was writing a ton. I started what were you doing? Work, I was working on it. I got, a, I get into hobbies. Hmm. And uh, I started learning about electronics. And oh. I had an old tape machine that I restored with a friend. Uh, a like a, a 16-track? 24-track, 24-track track tape machine. Yeah. Um, that works. Good one. In my garage that yeah. I turned into a studio.
5: He's good with hobbies.
4: Um, yeah, I am, I yeah. I started taking a class as well on the, from the community college, um, on Zoom. Wow, What'd you, you actually do? Did it? I'm just going That's.
0: I'm thinking like, what did I do?
4: Because
0: <laughs> everyone was talking about, yeah, you know, I'm gonna learn a language. You actually did a thing. You I did learned a
4: thing. a thing. It's easier when I, I don't have kids though.
0: Right. You know? I learned how to do the cup dance thing when you, you know, you kind of slap the top of the cup and turn it around in rhythm to the music. Have you ever seen that? No. Can you want to show us? Well, I probably <laughs> couldn't do it anymore. You know, you're just, you're just getting a cup and you're kind of going uh, clap, 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 turn a cup over. And so it's in pitch perfect. Right. Anyway, I, I saw it online. So that's what you learned to do. Well, we all as a family learned to do a routine to a variety of songs. The model by Kraftwerk was the easiest one because it was most robotic. And right. We could follow. So that's, that's what we did in lockdown one. And then I don't know the rest all just turns into a blur. Right. Well, you're going to play some songs, right? Mm. So I'm. They've already played the songs. listen. <laughs> I recorded them earlier on, but um, we're going to introduce them. So the first song that you're going to do for us, Alex and Britt, is from the record, and this is the single, right? This is wild.
5: That's right. It's the big single.
0: The big single. And this is one of my. Oh, this is this is my son. This is Frank. Hey,
4: hey, Frank. This is hey, Alex. Frank. How's it going?
0: I'm Britt. This is Britt. Nice to meet you. What are you doing in the city? Just come to see you guys. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. He's on his way back to college. He's doing music production. They actually study that here. Yeah.
5: <laughs> I mean, and I mean that. I'm, I'm telling you that they really study it and they do it in a good way here. All oh, right. I took RTF classes and that was, but it was, you know. Yeah. I just feel like the engineers that come out of uh, the UK are very
0: educated and know really know what they're doing. Oh, really? Compared yeah. to the states? Yeah, I do think so. Huh? Yeah. You know. Well, this is Alex and Britt playing wild. <laughs>
3: Riding trade winds Buried treasure I got on fine with modern living But must I be such a season? And the world still so wild Cold to me I was lost I've been kept on my knees my Trippers and Laskers They surrounded me All I'm describing Have they like me All I'm wanting Something special Bring them roses Sing them blues And the world Still so wild Call to me. I was lost. I was lost. over all the lies and appealing to me advertising and I was living tight every night and the world still so wild cold to me Who's got stopping, kept on my knees hey. and the world still so well. Hey.
0: Thank you very much. That was great. Now one of the tracks on the new record, "Who's Lucifer?" By the way, is that a cat? <laughs> Not like uh, Lucifer me. Sam. That's me. Oh, is it you? Yeah, it's the other side of me. Ah, comes out. The sound of Lucifer on the sofa. The song that sounds to me quite different to anything you've You're done. Right. Uh,
5: yeah, and and definitely different from from everything else on the record. Yeah, it's the one that um, we almost left that song off the record because. We knew it didn't follow the blueprint of this sort of earthy, um, more rock and roll. It just has a different sound. We did it with uh, Dave Friedman, which we did the last two records with, and uh, we did it. We didn't see him. We did it remotely with him, but it, it has his flavor on it. And so, yeah, we almost left it off, but I didn't want to because I love the song. And then finally, somebody figured out that you could put the song last and maybe get away with it. You know?
0: Oh, I think it works really well.
5: Yeah, it's a good ender, right?
0: It's so atmospheric and almost... I was saying to someone the other day, like it feels like it's even skirting the shores of something hip-hop-y almost. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, with that drum beat. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of sleazy late-night sounds like a horn sound. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's a a sax. Yeah. Um, I like it. I mean, I think I felt like... Well, I wonder if this points the way to what you'll be doing next. I could handle a whole record of that sort of sleazy late-night stuff. All right. Indie sleaze. Indie sleaze. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. I don't
5: know what we're going to do next. I don't know if we're going to do next. Uh, Maybe me and Alex are going to make a mariachi record. Uh, I don't know.
4: Maybe Maybe. a straight-up country record. Yeah. I don't know. Or
5: maybe we just open a really good liquor store.
4: That sounds really chill. (laughs) Right.
0: So you're going to play another song for us. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite tracks from Lucifer on the Sofa, the new record. This is Satellite. Can you tell us a little bit about this one right before? We this one it? is actually uh, a song
5: we recorded for They Want My Soul. Right. long time ago. And w- when we recorded it, we weren't, it wasn't really ready. We were kind of pushing right. it. It was written at the same time as Inside Out, so it kind of shares some of the same themes and even lyrics. So yeah, we recorded it with Fridman and then we recorded it again with uh, John Congleton a couple years later. It still didn't get it right and we were playing it live this whole time. And so finally, for this record, we recorded it and and we got it right.
4: sat right down.
5: Top tip, you just keep playing it and then eventually something will happen. Keep playing it live.
0: Yeah, I love it. And it does what you guys do so well, which is be kind of epic and emotional without being obvious about it, without being in your face <laughs> and coming on all epic and emotional. Do you know what I mean?
4: Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. But it really feels like you're on top of a mountain when
4: oh, you thanks. hear it. It's one of my favourites too on the record. Yeah. For sure.
0: Well, it's really nice to see you guys. So good to see you. Yeah. And um, It's been too long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And here we go uh, with uh, Satellite. <laughs>
3: draw it for you got them to love you got them that you adore you got angels above you well I, I know I love you more 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 oh can come close and I know where you draw the line I know what you draw it for Things got cruel you know I know And we done damage all along You got angels above you but I know I love you more I know I love you more Oh, I know I love you more I know I love you more
1: and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com buxton for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code buxton to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace.
3: Yes. Continue. Two. (laughs) Two.
0: (laughs) Hey, welcome back, podcats. That was Brit Daniel and Alex Fischel, official, official of Spoon. I hope you enjoyed that and liked those songs. If you're a fan, then check out the links in the description of today's podcast, as well as various Phil Wang links. There are links to a few videos that I've shot over the years. First of all, those two performances that you just heard of Satellite and Wild from the new album Lucifer on the Sofa. I filmed them just on my phone down in the basement of Third Man Records back in March. And I've put them on my music YouTube channel. They've already got copyright strikes as soon as I uploaded them, even though Britt was fine with me filming obviously and happy that I put them online. I'm not sure what it means. I don't know if it means that a strike is imminent Or if it just means that I can't monetize it, which I wasn't interested in doing anyway, but whatever. For the time being, you can see the videos that I shot of Alex and Brit performing those two tracks. And there's two videos that I shot 15 years ago of Brit performing backstage at the Borderline Club in London. He was about to go on stage with Spoon that evening and played one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. That's like a happy, hazy memory of the perfect gig. Watching Spoon at the borderline with my friend Dougie. But before they did that show, I got to meet Brit for the first time in his dressing room and I recorded him playing... A couple of spoon songs black like me and the beast and dragon adored oh and advanced cassette i think anyway i can't remember which links i've put in the description but there's a couple of those videos there too if you're a spoon fan or if you'd like to explore further anyway i'm very grateful to brit and alex and to noam from their pr who helped arrange the whole thing I'm grateful to everyone at their label as well, Matador, for helping us out with music clearances, etc. And uh, my wife, my wife, also did quite a bit of work on that side of things in her legal capacity. So thanks to her and very much indeed to Seamus. I'm just doing the thanks here now, although I should probably wrap up because it's been a long episode. But yeah, thanks very much, Seamus. A lot of back and forth about publishing and things like that. Thanks to Ben Tullow as well. First time helping us out with editing on the podcast. On the uh, Phil Wang conversation. Thanks very much indeed, Ben. Thanks to Helen Green, who does the artwork for the podcast. And do we have anything else to report, Rosie? Rosie, come and say hello to the podcast. Oh, I'm running over to Dude and I'm gonna say hello. Hello doggy. How are you? Okay. Thanks very much if you came along to bug last week at the BFI South Bank. Bug number 62. First new selection of videos that we've had since I suppose January 2020 long time, and it was nice to be back. I say nice too much, I think, maybe. You know, at school, my English teacher, probably like a lot of English teachers, always used to be a bit of a fascist about nice. Oh, don't use the word nice. It doesn't say anything. It's a non-word. I slightly disagree. I quite like the word nice. I think it's nice. And I do use it quite a bit probably too much and actually i was checking back the tim key episode the bit where i read out a entry from my journal about going and doing the voiceover for sing (laughs) Two. it was basically just me saying that a succession of people were nice Saw Garth, that was nice. Saw his producer, who's nice, saw the guy mixing the session, he was nice, and his PA was nice. Garth hung out with Bono. Apparently Bono's nice. It's not always like that in the journal. You should see what I say about cornballs and Louis. The word nice doesn't get used too often there. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, until next time, we share the same out old space. Edit point there, I forgot, addendum. We've got a new poster available for you in the merch portal. And it is a beautiful print, colour print, on nice paper by Helen Green. It's the artwork that she did for the paperback edition of my book, Ramble Book, which so many people commented on. And I always really liked, and I just thought, gosh, I thought, gosh, that's what I thought. I just jolly well thought, gosh, and I thought that would be nice as a poster, a nice poster. And so that's what's happened. It's turned into one, and you can buy it now. And I'll tell you what, it's signed by Helen and myself, and that's the end of the story. Uh, There's a link in the description. Oh, hey, do you want a hug? Come on. Who doesn't like a nice hug? Um, I love you. Bye!